0: This is Southeast Asia Crossroads, an educational podcast from the Center for Southeast Asian Studies at Northern Illinois University. In this episode, we talk to Rosalie Metro about her captivating novel on cultural understandings and misunderstandings in Burma. Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Southeast Asia Crossroads. I'm your host, uh, Eric Jones, and with me in studio is uh, Dr. Rosalie Metro. Thank you for joining us.
1: I'm glad to be here.
0: Yeah, happy to have you uh, back on our campus, uh, a frequent visitor of the Burma Studies Conference, among others, is that right? That's right. And uh, um, not too far away at the uh, University of Missouri, and there in the Department of Education, Uh, She's here to talk about uh, a really great novel that uh, um, is, it was published, when when did it finally when it was published? How long has it been? Um,
1: About a year ago in March 2018.
0: And this uh, this novel is Have Fun in Burma. Um, And so again, thanks for coming in and and, then we, uh, uh, if you... uh, if you've if folks who've read this I think uh, they'll they'll a lot will resonate and if they haven't, I think you've did a good job of helping us raise some questions um, uh, about this so so maybe to start off uh what what got you interested in in this topic in in maybe Southeast Asia in in Burma in particular
1: I got interested in Burma as a young person um when I was in college, and I had actually done a study abroad in Beirut, Lebanon, and it was my first time leaving the U.S. and First, it really, <laughs> first
0: time leaving the U.S. was to Beirut?
1: <laughs> yeah, it was a real eye opener. Um I don't know what I thought I was doing, but <laughs> I went over there, and it was just amazing, and I really got a sense of yeah. um, what it was to be an American, which you can't really realize if you're in the U.S., I,
0: I think. I, I say that all the time. You don't really know who you are until you out of that context and seeing how others are seeing you
1: yeah exactly exactly um and then i came back from that experience very politicized and very interested in um countries that i perceived that needed to be freed so this was the era of like free tibet and free palestine free nigeria and (laughs) Um, well, I do like for that
0: countries you perceive them as needing to be
1: free. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. So it was like the dawn of the internet, and I was just googling around, and free Burma came up, and I think I'd seen the movie Beyond Rangoon when I was a teenager, and okay. so I had the story in my mind, and um,
0: so you wanted a good cause, and you found it.
1: Yeah, Burma really fit the bill. Um, so I was living in Portland, Oregon, and I met some Burmese exiles, eighty-eight generation students, and oh, okay, yeah. At that time, I was um, picking what to specialize in in my degree in history, and so I ended up specializing in the history of Burma.
0: Awesome. Um, so, so how did how did you um, flash forward to you writing a novel about uh, uh, this? How did uh, is it is it autobiographical? What uh, uh, w- how did we get to a novelization of life in Burma?
1: Yeah. So um, it's definitely. N- Not autobiographical, although I have some similarities with my main character. So um, the book is about a young woman, Adela Frost, who's just graduated from high school from an elite prep school in the Northeast. And she decides to spend a summer volunteering in a monastery near Yangon. And um, at the same time, she's this is in 2012. So the violence in Rakhine State was just breaking out. Um, and she's kind of trying to make sense of the news reports that she hears and also trying to figure out what the people around her think about this conflict And she is very well intentioned and she wants to help and intervene in some way and so she comes up with a plan and um, her plan does not go exactly as she wishes that it would have.
0: Okay and so that's the that's the stage um, I guess you had you had. Something you felt like you wanted to to say about was was your um, would you say that the her experience the, the characters in kind of first um, first experience outside the United States is that does that is a lot of the Beirut experience carry over with some of those kind of eye opening revelation
1: I think definitely so in the sense that I when I sort of came up against the suffering in the world for the first time and really saw people my age who had lived through war and saw the aftermath of that, I was like, all right, what can I do to help? Like, and <laughs> I was there with, there were just a couple of other American students there at the time when I was in 1998 in Beirut. And we got what we thought was a really brilliant idea to make a documentary about the Syrian occupation of Lebanon. And so we started like going around interviewing our friends who had been detained by the Syrian secret police. And um, yeah, like we just had no sense that that was going to put people at risk or that it was something that we had no business doing. And so luckily, um, this professor who we told about our brilliant idea um, brought us into her office and we were like asking for her help. And she she was like, shut the door. And then she said, you're not going to do this. And and then she said, why do Americans always just think they can fix everything? And I was really taken aback. It really stuck with me because I was like, well, we can, you know, like we just have to make the documentary and then people will know more. And so I guess the novel that I wrote is imagining if instead of going to Beirut in 1998, I'd gone to Yangon in 2012 in the age of social media where every stupid thing that people do and say is preserved forever online. And um, I think that this younger generation, as they go out into the world and do their sort of rite of passage, volunteerism, summer building a school or whatever, they don't have the luxury Uh. that I had. as a nineteen or twenty-year-old, which is that everything just disappeared <laughs> that I did and said.
0: It, you're you're giving me like sort of like chills. I was thinking about like what if you know like my from the you know early '90s my it's like like what I thought were profound impressions about Indonesia had right if, if those if those were um, thank God they don't exist they just or the or the not even they were they were well intentioned but. Yeah. Um it's pretty cringy like imagining mm-hmm. um what I what I thought I how I thought I'd like cracked into their thought worlds or something. And right. um that that particularly and then and and uh and a lot of what you know we'll get we'll get into this, but your your novel uh does a really impressive job of trying to think through um uh what it's like to try to do that and to fail to do that and, and maybe not to do that. <laughs> um and some of those choices so so you're you're a, you're an academic you're a scholar professor at a university um why write a novel instead of uh an ap- academic uh paper i mean you're not going to get you're going to get merit out of this you're not going to get a mm-hmm. tenure off, off of this like what is the value
1: right um so i started writing this book in 2014 and at that time, the conflict really had not gotten that much attention, and I wanted to draw attention to it, but also to the complexities of representing it. So, when I read, and,
0: and you had, you had, you know, I guess you might say, you'll probably talk about. This, you had spent some extensive time in in, right, right, in right. Myanmar and such. Oh like yeah. So yeah. when
1: I left off, I had just <laughs> I was in college, and I had found Burma. Um, yeah, so I ended up spending a lot of time there between 2000 and 2014. I did my MA and my PhD uh, both on the topic of how to teach the history of Burma in order to promote inter-ethnic reconciliation. So looking at um, the differences between the way Karen people tell history and the way Shan people tell history and the way the Burmese government tells history and then thinking about how children learn that in the classroom And how it can be taught in a way that tells the truth, but that also um, allows those kids not to grow up really hating each other. So that was kind of the challenge that I was grappling with in my academic life. And um, by 2014, I was living in the U.S. and working at a university. And um, I had young kids, so I couldn't really travel to Southeast Asia. So I was just reading about this conflict in the news and... I wanted to respond in some way, but, you know, I couldn't like go to a refugee camp and do an investigative report. And um, I felt like journalists and academics were doing a good job of documenting the crisis. But I was also really fascinated by the polarized perspectives on it from the Western media and then from journalists inside Myanmar who were um, taking a really different perspective Um, so I didn't want to jump into the fray and kind of make an argument I wanted some more create something that could help people reflect on how the arguments were being constructed. Um, so, and so
0: a novel helps you not to have to create this thesis statement that yeah. has to be marked. What a relief. That. I mean, <laughs> that's
1: what I hate about academic work. It's like, I always end up arguing for things. And by the end of my argument, I'm like, I don't even believe this, you know, it's like, <laughs> so, um, I found that the creative form just offered more points of entry to more people and then it, you know, you can't agree or disagree with a novel. It's a story. And you can right. re- respond to it.
0: Good point. Okay, so how did how did your you're you're looking at um, uh, education in the ways that uh the historical memory is is, is is taught and thought about in, in, in Myanmar. Um, how did how did your research on, on Burma and, and, and other aspects influence what you you're writing in the novel?
1: I think the largest way is just in terms of the lasting effects of the colonial encounter in terms of how Burmese people define their national identity and the idea that there are eight national races and 135 ethnic groups and that... Um, the
0: No more, no less. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then
1: I think what what Burmese people don't always know, although they are proud of how they got the british out of burma and ended colonization maybe they don't always um, realize how much the british racialized and ethnicized their society and i I mean of course there were pre-existing ideas of lumio or like what kind of person you are um but you know, when you have to have an ID card and it has to say who you are and what religion yeah. you are,
0: and you have to pick one and not the other, and the census-driven right. kind of uh, yeah, that, 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 that those, the whole
1: seeing like a state kind of idea
0: that that that, that and, it, and it's easy for for any of us to imagine that the world we currently find ourselves has it's always been this way, and it takes actually kind of a a, a lot of thought to to try to to try to think of the time before or, or how those things that seem so almost genetic, um, how those are actually constructed.
1: Right. Right. And so I think there's the lived experience of how people see, feel their identity. And then there's the historical construct construction of identity. And those are two different things. Um, I had also through my years working with people from Burma, um, met, were kind people and made friends with them and also realized that they tended to have some pretty deep-seated prejudices against Muslims. Um, And I realized that because I was in uh, Chiang Mai working in a youth organization um, on 9-11. Oh, wow. And I you know, I was talking to my friends about it, Burmese people from all different parts of the country who were living in exile in Chiang Mai. And my Rakhine friend was like, well, Muslims are just really bad. You know, we've, we've known that for oh, like decades. Like
0: commiserating with you or yeah. comforting. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I was like my, that just wasn't my political orientation. You know, I was much more like critical of America and what the U S had done to, um, create this hatred against the country and, but yeah, he saw things in pretty clear-cut terms, and that was very surprising for me. but it um, as I was writing this novel, I thought back to that a lot that although you know the conflict has intensified a lot, it's not a new idea <laughs> that Muslims don't belong in Burma. it's it's a very old idea, um, and it has kind of a long and twisted history
0: so um you know you 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 mentioned that you had you formed friendships, and you and and I, uh, as you were, uh, and, and, and and another uh, audience member relayed the same. I, I have very similar and ongoing um, discussions with friends of mine from Myanmar, and we have we have regular groups of of students from Myanmar, high school and university students who are on exchange programs who are here for for you know a month or more so in in they're they're here for a while and you get to know them and they are these you um very smart very very interested um and well educated um and what you 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 make the kind of assumption that they would share your your thoughts about um maybe human rights or 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 other things or how this situation race uh, race and ethnicity are perceived and then it becomes uh, uh, that kind of realization that it's it's uh, people see things in very uh, people that people that you like. It reminds me of kind of the, the election of Donald Trump. That there are people you have and friends who you realize that you know that it's possible for them to see the world in perf- fundamentally different ways. Was for that sure. a, was that a was that a hard realization for you? I know it's been for me.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think it really influenced me to write this book in a way because um, I wanted to look critically at how I was perceiving the conflict. You know, Mm I, I see it um, basically as the Western media portrays it, that the Rohingya are victims of Buddhist extremists and not that every Burmese Buddhist, you know, wants to do violence, certainly not, but um, that's kind of my general interpretation. And I think, Longtime friends of mine from Myanmar, who you know, we agreed about um, the SLORC and the SPDC and mm-hmm. the military <laughs> regimes. They're really on a different page about this, and not maybe in an extreme way where they're saying, "Oh, all Muslims are evil." Um, they're not a caricature. It's just that their views are more complex and informed by their experiences. So. I'm trying to sort of hold on to in some way what I feel is right. Um, right, but without clinging to that so much that it blinds me from seeing other people's perspectives.
0: were you afraid of of offending of offending people in uh, in Myanmar?
1: Definitely. I mean, I think there are a lot of people from Burma or um, maybe Burmese Buddhists in particular who would find just the idea that I would write a book like this very offensive um, and that's something that I struggled with so I thought well should I write this book and if I write it should I publish it and what are going to be the consequences of that.
0: Like like I've had Burmese friends say is is that all you want to talk about? Is that the only thing <laughs> right. Burma is to you? Like,
1: Right, right, right yeah and I mean I think that's point taken you know there's so much suffering going on in the country and just the way 10 or 15 years ago if you brought up Burma people would be like Ang San Suu Kyi, today they're like Rohingya aren't people being killed there um so it's a lot of people do have kind of a simplistic view of it but yeah definitely like I worry about causing offense or about hurting people in ways that I don't intend to And I tried to deal with that um, partly by asking Burmese friends to read drafts of the book as I was writing it and to help me just see what I couldn't see because of my blind spots um, and because of where I'm coming from. But I know that it's not a foolproof process and there are still things in there that um, could be upsetting to some people. But I think one thing that Burmese friends did encourage me to do was put in details about Buddhists who helped Muslims, um, that that's a really important part of the story. So it's not a
0: one, it's not a a multifaceted approach rather than a...
1: Yeah, and that, um, you know, like there are monks and monasteries who sheltered Muslims during these conflicts and who protected them, and that's not a part of the story that's often told. And so I wanted to be sure to have that in there
0: how does how does uh so obviously bias is, is something that that we think about as a as a researcher but you have to you know you, you're you're treating a character uh who has who has her own sort of opinions and i guess how did you deal with that like your your bias your character's bias what position how do how do you write um through this this pretty delicate um uh political and social situation
1: i think being trained in an anthropological p- tradition where, you know, I did ethnographic work and always had to really reflect on my positionality and who I was and what I was bringing to the situation. I think I approached writing the novel in a, in a similar way and that I'm not assuming that I have this neutral objective point of view, um, as an author, of course not. And I think that's part of the reason that I chose to write in a close third person point of view. So, the reader is inside Adela's thoughts and feelings inside my main character. And I don't get inside the heads of my Burmese characters um, because I didn't think that I could do that ethically and convincingly. So
0: the world of the novel is, is through how she's imagining
1: the the situation. You know, she hears what she hears and she sees what she sees, but that's always through her lens or filter. And that's, really all the reader has access to and then they can bring their own life experience to it as well. Um, but yeah, I hope that by writing that way, it makes it clear that I'm not positioning myself as an authority on the situation or someone who's saying, who's trying to, you know, do that classic thing that colonists have done for years, which is like, let me tell you what's really going on in your country. (laughs)
0: Yeah and and the 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 novel it's um like a like music or a painting it is uh there are it's open to much many more interpretations it it's uh, you don't you know the 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 author the, the reader can have come to different conclusions uh did you have you found a difference between um american audiences and and burmese audiences as they as you get feedback
1: um definitely i think that in the U.S., <clears throat> most often people's reaction is like disbelief that Buddhists would do anything bad or violent. You know, it's like yeah. people think that Buddhists are these little teddy bears like the Dalai Lama and he's so cute and he just wants happiness for everyone. And um, I think a pretty simplistic view of Buddhism.
0: I, I had a, I had an undergraduate kind of world history teacher and he said, uh, you know, he was sort of um, going on about sort of the, the sort of World War One, World War Two, and the death toll of uh, that you know in, in the West especially that they caused, and he said, you know, and, and uh, a war has never been fought in the name of Buddhism. <laughs> and I remember thinking, <laughs> just having having done some reading about like Thailand and and, yeah. and Burma, thinking like, you know, uh, I you know I, I didn't have the courage to raise my hand and say mm-hmm. like you're really wrong. Um yeah. But uh, yeah, but that that is a, that's an interesting, and and I think that like. I remember in, in people have this idea about Cambodia when they go there they're thinking like how can these happy smiling people have committed you know it doesn't make it doesn't make sense there's this right. and, and, and the way that it it takes it takes some years for you to realize that that that's a that's a really paternalistic view I mean right. you, you think you're being nice by saying like yeah. these are sweet but you but you're actually infantilizing these people and not allowing them to be good and evil, just as complex as you are.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole idea that there's a national character, um, you (laughs) know, like, which is another British thing, like the Burmese are this or the Karen are this. It's um, obviously...
0: (laughs) (laughs) Inscrutable.
1: Yeah, right? (laughs) And of course, I mean, culture has an influence on the way that people are. It's not like there aren't commonalities across nations or groups of people, but,
0: but the Burmese mind is like, yeah, it's not a very useful category (laughs) of analysis. Um, yeah. So, uh, tell us about, so this is a, it's a, it's a great read and, and what are, um, what are the other novels and the other things that, that influenced you? Where did you, uh, draw on for inspiration?
1: Um, I would say my main inspiration is E.M. Forrester's passage to India which Uh is a book that I read for the first time um, when I was in Southeast Asia as a young person. And it's about this young woman, Adela. (laughs) Um, So I took the name for my main character. But she goes to India and she says, I want to see the real India. And when I read that line, I felt like really seen by the author. I was like, how does he know what's going on in my head? a hundred years after, you know, how is he writing this? I want to see the real Burma. Yeah. Right. And I think that that's so common that people from the U S or Europe go to the East for the first time, expecting this experience of authenticity or, um, exoticism. And, um, it's interesting (laughs) to me that that's a pretty old story. And so I wanted to kind of re re envision it in some way. Um, in the context of this, what I would call volunteerism, like this mm. rite of passage of young Americans and Europeans going abroad to do service projects when they're in their late teens or early twenties. Um, and always the focus being on their experience and what they're getting out of it. And they're learning so right. much and they're gaining so much. And there is not always so much focus on the receiving societies and how they perceive this, group of people who comes in and, you know, stays a few weeks or a few months and goes back home.
0: My, my daughter and I traveled in Southeast Asia in January and, and, uh, she graduated university and we, on the airplane, we watched, uh, the beach with Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. And there's, and there's this, if you know the movie, you know, there's, it's it the the beginning hinges on, he's like, he doesn't want to be like those other. Right, Backpackers right. who just <laughs> sit in Kowloon Road and and watch American action movies, and I remember th- I, was, I was watching it. You know, now as a yeah. uh, as an older person, and the, like just laughing like that was so me. Like oh, I'm not I'm I'm so much better than those dummies who just you know come over here and just are consumers of I'm I'm gonna I'm really gonna get it
1: yeah it's so funny because um someone says to adela in the novel you're not like other americans and she's really excited she takes it as a huge compliment yeah but um it's actually not a compliment (laughs) um and you know it takes a while to really figure out how people are perceiving her and what she's what she means to them
0: what are what are some other novels
1: well um my book is pretty intertextual in that Adela is very interested in literature and is reading and reacting to literature throughout the book. So she doesn't read Passage to India. <laughs> if she had, you know, she might have never gone to Burma in the first <laughs> place and the book wouldn't have happened. But um, she's really into Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness. Um, okay. And so she's fascinated by the colonial encounter and the idea of this um brutal and evil colonizer and so she doesn't want to see herself that way of course um but also while she's in yangon she reads george orwell's burmese days and she um hates it she hates the main character and um she thinks it's really poorly written and she would have written it differently and she's just very frustrated by the way that the encounters between um British and Burmese characters take place. And she's sort of pushing back against that and thinking, well, isn't it possible to really have connections across cultural divides or does it always have to be this way?
0: So she's she's properly woke. Um, Do you want to do you mind giving us a a, a little reading if we if we if we read a selection?
1: you a section from uh, partway into the novel. Adela has been in Yangon for several weeks and she's volunteering in this monastery and she had thought she was going to be teaching children in the monastery school and they had thought that they were getting a male volunteer. So there were miscommunications on both sides, but it ends up she's teaching English to a group of five or six monks and she has just been reading about the conflict in Rakhine State. So the monastery has an internet connection, and she's able to go online from time to time and check her Facebook account. And she just read this New York Times article that was about this violence, and she was really curious how her students, the monks, would react to it. And she was hoping that um, they would be as horrified as she was and that um, they would be able to find some common ground. So she's going to share the article with them. After breakfast, Adela ran over to the office, copies of the article tucked into her shoulder bag. Some of the print was smudged, but the type was still legible. She set the papers out on the tables to dry while she waited for the monks to arrive. Usila came first. He picked up the article and read the headline. Very terrible, he said. Yes, very bad, Adela agreed. You know these things from your own country, he said. Yeah, she said, a little surprised he'd made the same connection she had. Since 9-11 it's gotten a lot worse. He shook his head sadly. The others came in as a group, neat and dry, under their special orange monk umbrellas. Upinya nodded vigorously when he saw the article. Yes, we must discuss this one, he said. Sayama Zabey must understand our country. So Adela's gotten this Burmese name Zabey, and Sayama means teacher. Yeah, I have to say, I don't really understand. Adela was relieved. But maybe we can do something about it, something to help. Yes, we can do, said U'aga, smiling. Why not? Yeah, like maybe some kind of fundraiser or public statement, just to let people know that this is not okay. All the monks nodded, and Adela felt herself getting excited. She could actually do something. I should speak about one matter, said Unyanika. I am Rakhine people from Rakhine State. "'Our kind people are Buddhist for thousands of years. "'We have a kingdom, Ra'u,' "'and he went on for some time about an ancient kingdom "'with a famous Buddha statue that had been stolen by a Burman king. "'Adela didn't see what it had to do with Muslims, "'but she had learned that Unyanika didn't like being interrupted, "'so she waited for the other monks to intervene. "'Like I say,' Usila finally jumped in, "'you have the same problem in America. "'Muslims come and bomb your towers.' "'Well, that was different.' Adela said slowly, wait a minute, so you're saying this conflict is the Muslims' fault? Maybe when she and Usila had agreed that the situation was very terrible, they hadn't agreed on why. Yes, of course their fault, they do this riot and raping. Adela looked around the room in utter disbelief. The other monks nodded, confirming Usila's charge. Upinya, seeing his teacher frowning, piped up. Seema, of course you know about our national races. He and Adela had discussed the Civil War previously when he'd seen her reading Insurgency in the Politics of Ethnicity. He said he felt sympathy for all the ethnic peoples and wanted peace. He supported Aung San Suu Kyi, and his older brother had participated in the 1988 demonstrations. In my opinion, Upinya began gently, these people are not Myanmar people, not our national races. They come from Bangladesh only recently. These people? But there are Muslims all over Burma, right? Adela asked. Her heart was beating faster. She had that feeling again of being in over her head, of being dropped into cold water. They can't all have come from Bangladesh. Maybe some, Upinyat admitted. The other monks looked down at the article with knitted brows. Perhaps they didn't understand the English, Adela told herself. Maybe she wasn't communicating clearly enough. She tried again. Say they did come from Bangladesh. Don't they have human rights just like everyone else? I think we must protect our culture, said Unyanika haughtily. But what does that have to do with culture, she asked. People can be from different religions and still have the same culture. Like in American culture, we have people from many religions and many races. I mean, they're African Americans and... Your country is very different to ours, interrupted Unyanika. Then you cannot understand our Myanmar people. "'I have read about this problem in your country also,' said Usila. "'Some people come in by secret from Mexico with no passport, make many babies. "'But they're not Muslim in any way. "'There's nothing wrong with Mexicans. "'I love Mexicans,' Adela insisted desperately, "'glad that no Americans were there to hear how silly she sounded. "'Usila shook his head in bewilderment. "'Not all Muslim are bad. "'Only about 99%, said Unianika with great seriousness.' as if he were quoting a well-known statistic. Did you know 100% of the rapes in Myanmar are done by Kala? Adela couldn't believe what she was hearing. Kala was like the N-word. How could a monk use it? In Myanmar, we are Buddhist for a long time, said Unyanika. But now some are changing. Some Muslims marry Myanmar women so their children will be Muslim. The mosque give them money for taking Myanmar wife. I know this one from my own experience in my hometown. Adela found Unyanika's theory so bizarre she didn't know how to respond. She tried a different tactic. But the whole country isn't Buddhist. There are Christians here too, right? Okay, fine. Christian is no problem in Rakhine State, said Unyanika. Very small number. And, he said, stabbing at the article. This is not correct. So-called Rohingya are not a minority. They grow and grow. It is we, Rakhine, who are a minority now. Minority in our own state. Many years ago, these Muslim people have an army. They try to separate and take over. His voice was louder now, and he leaned across the table toward Adela. Upinya patted the air between them. Seema, I know it sounds strange for you. You come here just some weeks ago, but we faced this problem a long time, no? They're not a problem. They're people, she gasped. Zabe has any Muslim friends? Unyanika demanded. Well, she searched her memory. There was that freshman in her phys ed class. Yes, yes, I do. And all of my Muslim friends are very nice, very kind. Unyanika practically shuddered with disgust. Then U'Aga jumped in, smiling as he exclaimed that Muslims only went to stores owned by other Muslims. Adela was shocked. She had never encountered such blatantly prejudiced statements. Edgerton Fields, her prep school, had a strict code of conduct related to hate speech, and even the most subtle comments could leave one open to accusations of racism or sexism. By comparison, she found the monks' view of Muslims almost laughably straightforward. She felt like she had entered another place in time, like she was Atticus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird, standing up against injustice. But it was so confusing. She didn't want to argue with the monks. She wanted to go back to the place in the conversation where she thought they agreed about how to fix the situation in Rakhine State. Only Usuria, the oldest monk, had stayed quiet. Adela had thought of him as the least friendly, but now she appealed to him for help. Usuria, what do you think? His deep-set eyes were so dark Adela couldn't see his pupils. Monks should not involve in politics, he said. That silenced the others. They didn't read the article that day. The rain-spattered copies still lay on the table at the end of class, and Adela threw them in the garbage.
0: Wow, oh, thanks that's uh um yeah again that seems to speak to uh such a common experience you think i'm doing the right thing here like these are these are and these are these are buddhist monks they of course are going to be on the right side of m- justice and morality at the capital you know like um these are universal truths and goodness like how could it be uh uh so, what was the? Um, have you had? Uh, uh, have you had younger students? Students who are read this? Who this is their I was just thinking about. I should have students who are going for the first time to Southeast Asia. Read this. Read this book. Have you? Have you tried that?
1: I hope so. I mean, I think this is really the book that I wish that I had read before I left the U.S. for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think readers one of the weird things about writing anything academic work or creative is that you really can't control people's reactions to it. And actually, when I was reading that very excerpt at the Burma Studies Conference in Bangkok this summer, a friend of mine was sitting next to this Burmese woman. And when when I was reading the part about how the Muslims were bad, she was like, <clears throat> yes, yes. This writer, this writer, really understands the situation, <laughs> so
0: <laughs> it she resonated was, with yes, her. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: and I think <laughs> some readers will have that reaction. Other readers will hate Adela and be very yeah. critical of her and think, "How dare she do this and say this?" And um, other people will be in between. But yeah, y- you never know.
0: So, um, will there, will, will there, will there be a sequel? Do you think? Do is there more from to come from Adela?
1: I don't have any plans for that. Um, I think I'm excited to get back to my academic work on Burma. So I've become really interested in language policy and especially the idea of mother tongue based education and the possibilities for um, being more inclusive in language teaching in Myanmar. And I'm also really interested in looking at the new textbooks that are coming out. So my dissertation was a lot about um, the existing textbooks and the issues or problems with them. And now there are these new ones that I'm comparing and examining, especially for how they deal with national identity. How much?
0: We we need to have you back for a separate podcast. I'm really interested, but just in those little wet, wet our appetites. How many how many textbooks? How how, is it, it is there a central authority over the, the same textbook that's been used, or is it regionally defined in Myanmar?
1: Well, it has always been very tightly controlled by the central government, so the curriculum is just textbooks, and for years you weren't allowed to bring any book into a school that wasn't a government textbook. Um, okay. Now there's a initiative for regional curricula, which are being developed and which would be used alongside the main textbooks in government schools. So that process is moving forward, but also the textbooks themselves are being rewritten. Teacher's guides are being developed, New, a whole new um, life skills curriculum and oh. civics and morality textbooks have been written. And yeah, it, but it, the process is very piecemeal. So different intergovernmental or non-governmental organizations are overseeing the curriculum at different levels. So JICA is doing the primary curriculum and then... Um, There's another organization doing the high school curriculum. And um, so and then the MOE, the Ministry of Education, has to approve all of it, which is a tough sell sometimes because I think the people funding this reform process, their ideology doesn't always coincide with the government's basically. And what ends up in the textbook is an interesting mixture
0: a compromise that's not of always old comprehend- and new. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: a real hybrid.
0: Um, well, where can uh, folks want to get their hands on uh, have fun in Burma? Where should they go?
1: Um, you can get it on IndieBound, which is um, an independent online bookstore. You can also get it on Amazon, but I never like to direct people there <laughs> first. Um, you can probably get it on Northern Illinois University Press's website as well. Um, I'm very thankful to them for publishing it. Yeah,
0: Yeah. well um, uh, on behalf of the University let me thank you for coming to, to, to share it with us and uh, we look forward to uh, talking again.
1: Thanks. Thanks so much. Crossroads would we'll like to thank Tommy Brown for today's music and the for production assistance. 谢谢您的收听，我们下次再见。in the from